You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. We continue our series on the Beatitudes, and this morning we're in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's a nice brief text this morning. I hope I won't be too wordy in expanding it, but uh, (laughs) who said amen? (laughs) My husband. (laughs) So yeah, so this morning we've moved on from all the other ones that we've looked at. This description of the people who are blessed. And this morning, the pure in heart. So we're gonna look first of all at what purity actually means. We're gonna have a look at what our heart actually is. And then we're gonna look at what it means to see God. Pure, I wonder what that word means to you. If you think of something being pure. Untainted. That is actually a very good description of it. Because the whole point about something pure is that it doesn't contain anything else except what it is. So if your gold is pure, there is no dross in it. If your medicine is pure, it hasn't been contaminated with anything that might actually harm you, one hopes. And basically, at the bottom line, that's what it means. If something is pure, it means it's not mixed with anything. There's no alloy in it. It's unadulterated. It's totally clean of anything else. And that's what God asks of his people. In the Old Testament, we see how everything that was at all involved with the temple worship had to be first purified. Every bowl, every vessel, every brick, every garment, every person, every priest, everything, every sacrificial animal, they had to go through a ritual of purifying so that nothing tainted would be offered in worship to God because God is pure and perfect and nothing can approach him that isn't pure and perfect. So there was a great deal of ceremonial law in the old covenant. And sometimes people wonder why we don't go through all this ceremonial law now. And we haven't got, you know, sort of clean foods, clean garments, certain things you have to go through. Well, that's because all that was like the foreshadowing of something much deeper that would be coming with the new covenant when Jesus arrives. It sort of underlined the fact of the need for purity. But actually it could only really deal with the externals. And so you could go through lots of ritual cleansing, but that didn't necessarily mean that inside you were a pure person. In fact, it didn't mean that because, let us be honest, not one of us in ourselves, if you look deep inside, can say, yes, I'm pure. I'm totally pure. There is nothing in here that is other than utterly pleasing to God. It would be impossible. But that is what's necessary, purity. 
And Jesus, when, you, when we read the rest of his teaching, particularly this teaching in the Sermon of, on the Mount, really underlines the fact that he hasn't just come to bring a sort of an outward thing that looks impressive, that he's actually come to deal with the internal issues. He's not actually interested in just ceremonial purity. He is interested in purity of the heart. In fact, uh, a little later on in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 23, which is number four, yeah, we find him saying to the people who were very, very hot on keeping the law and did all the ritual purifying you could imagine, far more than the average person, and he says to them, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And, and he has very strong words of challenge to say to people who are very, very hot about looking good, but actually, on the inside, they're a very different picture. And if there's one thing we can see that Jesus really hates, it's hypocrisy, which basically means pretending to be something you're not. You can even go right back into the Old Testament, the first book of Samuel. When Samuel was going to anoint the new king for Israel, and he's gone to Jesse's house, which the Lord has told him to go, says, I'm, I'm anointing one of these sons. And, and he goes through all eight, and they all look pretty impressive bunch. But what the Lord said to Samuel was, don't look on the outside. He says, men look on the outside appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Basically, the Lord wants purity on the inside, on the heart. So first of all, blessed are the pure, but it's the pure in heart. Not the super religious ones, necessarily. But it's something deeper than that. So, what does it mean? The heart. What, what is the heart? Becky, can you tell us what the heart is? She's a doctor. She should know, shouldn't she? It's a sort of pump, and it pumps the blood around your body, which is very important because actually all the stuff your body needs to get is being carried by your bloodstream, in particular the oxygen which you've breathed in. If it's not pumped around your body, it won't do you any good. And... Uh, well, we know the blood's important. If, if you lose all your blood, you die. But, you know, if your heart stops pumping it round, I think I'm right in saying we'll die, won't we? Because the heart is absolutely crucial to that. So is God saying we've got to do something about our hearts? We've got to have some sort of operation? No. Obviously, that is the picture, the metaphor he's using. And it shows us what he means. The heart is the absolute central, crucial thing which sustains life. It's right at, well, the core of it. And of course, the word core comes from the word in 
lots of languages, Latin originally, for heart. So it's the absolute central inner bit. So scripturally speaking, what does God mean by the heart? Well, Anna said, did I want to put words up on the screen? It would take too many, there are too many here, so I'm, I'm sort of jumping through a bit. But when God's talking about our heart, he's not talking about the blood pump. He's talking about what we think about. He's talking about the way we feel, our emotions. And absolutely central to both those things, he's talking about our will. So when we talk about somebody's heart, we're talking about their thinking, their feeling, and the choices that they make, their motives. And Jesus is saying, blessed are the pure in heart. So he's looking for purity in our thinking. He's looking for purity in our emotional life. He's looking for purity when it comes to the way we make our decisions and our priorities. And he says, blessed are the pure in heart. David said the same thing. If you go back to Psalm 24, and, and the whole question of who can actually get into God's presence? Who can, where well, he puts it here, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, he says? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. In other words, we're talking about total truth and sincerity here. And the key thing about a pure heart, again, is it's not mixed, it's not divided. Uh, a professor Tasker has said, the person who is pure of heart is single-minded and free from the tyranny of a divided self. Grand way of saying it, isn't it? But it means that actually this heart is only focused on one thing, not a myriad things, particularly in the area of what it's committed to, its desires, its longings, its wishes, its all those things need to be coming from one pure source. And for those whose hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and let's get it quite clear, this is the only way we have any chance of having pure hearts, is to have them washed by his blood. That's why under the old covenant, yes, they, could, they got the... The message and the foreshadowing, but it was pointing to something greater that's coming later. And now, in this new covenant, which we've just celebrated as we took communion together, we remember the fact that it's actually his blood that has cleansed our sin. It's his sacrifice.
sacrifice that is dealt with it all. And so now, as we've been joined with him, we find our whole focus in life is different. The way we think begins to change. And that begins to change the way we feel. And it certainly should be making a huge change in where our priorities lie and the sort of decisions we're going to make. Because actually this should be a changing picture once we've come to Jesus. Our hearts should now be being changed and progressively purified. Quoting Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life, or a more recent um, translation, it's still the NIV, but um, they've obviously updated the translation a little, which I think expresses it better. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So it's very important where we've set our hearts, because it will affect everything we do. And basically, when, when the Lord has our heart, He's got our everything. There's nothing that isn't encompassed within that. And it's a bit like, you know, when you, when you come to Jesus, it's a bit like when you get married, at that point, you have made a choice to focus on one person to the exclusion of all others. I remember the words well. Will you have this man to be your lawful wedded husband, you know, to love him and all the rest of it, and forsaking all other to keep you only unto him for as long as you both shall live? You see, it's, that's the point. At that point, in order to have the fullness of what this relationship is all about, it's like saying, I've made my choice, and now all the other options that I might have considered are closed to me. There is one alone to whom I am faithful. And that's a very good picture of what happens when we become Christians. It's like saying, I have, I have come to Jesus now. He's my heavenly bridegroom. I belong to him. And so that means that a whole lot of other stuff, which before I might have been drawn to, which wasn't pure, that's closed to me. It also means that even among the stuff that isn't in itself wrong, but, you know, you have to make priorities and choices, now, if my heart is going to be pure, it means that the only thing that matters is what he wants. And so when it comes to making my choices, the first question is, Lord, what would you have me do? When it comes to governing my feelings... It's, Lord, will you please keep them under control? When it comes to the way I think, it's, Lord, will you give me more of your truth, which will inform me and change the way I think, so that the, the process of being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another is an ongoing thing. Because everything I do is going to be flowing from this heart. And that's what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the pure in heart. He means blessed are those who want God's kingdom, who want him, who are focused on him and his will to the exclusion of anything else. So they are blessed, for they will see God. 
Wow. And I want to look at that from two angles as well. So what does that mean here and now? If my heart is pure, I will see God. Now, with the eye of faith, it's like suddenly you're viewing all of life from a different perspective. And you begin to be aware of God in a way you never were before. It is true, you know, that God has actually been involved in every detail of your life ever since before you could remember. But a lot of the time, we're not particularly aware of that. Some people never give that a thought. In fact, some people find it a very unwelcome thought and push it away. They don't want God. They don't really want to see God. Actually, they, they prefer to do their own way. And for lots of us, we might be sort of thinking, well, I, I don't know. I can't see God. I can't see what he's doing here. What's the circumstances? What's it all got to do with me? But then as you begin to walk with Jesus, you begin to find, wow, I'm beginning to see him involved in my life. I'm beginning to see my prayers answered, for example. Or I'm beginning to see how things that I just couldn't see, how this could possibly be for good. And yet, with hindsight, I think, Lord, I'm so glad you did that. At the time, I didn't like it. But now I can see what you were doing. And actually, it's true. Your hand was in that. Or I wanted it to go that way and I was desperately praying and he didn't do it. And I was thinking, oh, why not? But then later I'm thinking, thank you, Lord, that you didn't say yes to that prayer, that you had something better in mind. Because somehow, once your heart is his, you kind of begin to see his footprints everywhere on the road around you. You see his fingerprints on everything that you're touching. You begin to find that the people you're meeting are somehow advancing his purpose for you. Sometimes you're saying you're, you're so much more thankful than you used to be because you're noticing these blessings. And you might be saying, oh, thank you for that person who stepped up to help me at that moment. And it's not just that you're grateful to that person, but you're aware, actually, God used them to answer my prayer. God used them to answer a need I didn't even know I had. That's wonderful. And do you know, here's a word of comfort for those times when it happens. You can even begin to see God in the people who weren't a great blessing to you at the time, who perhaps harmed you or cursed you or opposed you or made lives difficult for you, but again, when you begin to see things with hindsight, you begin to discover God was actually working something in me through that experience, you know? And you know the bit about, I prayed for patience and everything went wrong. Do you know that's God's answer to your prayer? You've said it often, patience is like muscles. It only grows by being exercised. So if you want to, if you want to develop patience, Ask God and he'll give you lots of situations in which you will require it in abundant measure. And that is actually how he works. But you see, if your heart is pure and actually your desire is to please him, then even in those circumstances, you begin to see God at work. You become aware of him much more. 
And so you're recognizing and praising him for it. And when things are really difficult, it becomes easier to trust him because you can see the truth of that Romans 8:28 verse, which gets quoted sometimes when you don't want to hear it, you know, that in everything God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so with a purity of heart, we become transformed to the point where we see his actions going all the time. But you know, it goes further than that. When Moses was bringing the people out of Egypt, and you know, at one point when he was receiving the law and, that, and he asked God to show him his glory and God said to him, all right, I'll let my glory pass before you, but I'm going to hide you in a cleft in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand as I pass by because you mustn't see my face because no man can see me and live. In other words, the purity of his face when you look at it from our place of anything but purity, would actually bring death to us. It would burn us up. And so there was Moses, he got to see God's back, but he couldn't see his face. But when we get to Revelation chapter 22, in the new creation, the new heavens, and on the new earth, we find these wonderful words, chapter 22, verse 4, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. When the work is finished, when finally this new creation that has begun in us comes to its completion, and when we have our resurrection bodies, we're going to be able to look God in the face and not only not die, but actually we're going to be reflecting his glory back to him. His name will be on our foreheads. That is amazing. I'm going to be able to see God, literally see him, Look him in the eyes. You know what they say about lovers? Um, if, you're, if, you've, if you've done any of these psychological experiments, if you look at lovers talking across a table, there's a lot more eye contact than is normal among human beings. Because eye contact can be quite threatening, especially sustained eye contact. You know, you've been thinking, oh, you know, this, it's like people are looking straight into your very soul. You know, that's what the eye is, the window to the soul. And yet, we're going to be able to look in God's face and not shrink, but see his love and our love reflecting his love. This is an amazing prospect. I'm going to finish with some words from the first letter of John. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Now. We're seeing him now. But we know, but what, and what we will be has, not been yet, has yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, the more we're looking at him and seeing him, the more we're being transformed into his likeness until the day 
when one day, with a perfectly pure heart, we can look straight into the eyes of God and his face and reflect back to him that image which we were created for. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God.